Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us. Hope you're having a good day, and we appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Here's what we're going to cover. We're going to talk with the new president of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen. We're going to get her thoughts on her goals for the coming year, her thoughts on the challenges facing the pork industry. Also, her thoughts on... Uh, the reintroduction of the Farm Workforce Modernization Act as we talk ag labor. That's coming up on today's program. We're also going to talk with Brandon Day with the Yield Lab Institute. We'll have the results of the Soy Innovation Challenge. And we're going to talk with Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Some uh, recent court rulings on waters of the U.S. We'll get an update on those and uh, look ahead at plans by the Biden administration, what they may do with waters of the U.S. So we'll get an update on WOTUS a little bit later on in the program. So lots going on, but we're going to start things off with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thank you for joining us. Uh, I might start off with the uh, ag labor issue and uh, the reintroduction of the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Any thoughts on, on that legislation? All right, maybe we've lost Ethan, so we'll we'll try to reestablish our connection with him. We also will want to talk with Ethan about uh, another piece of legislation that has been introduced, and that is the Cattle Market Transparency Act, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on that because there's been a lot of focus in the last year, of course, on the cattle markets. Uh, Department of Justice investigation, and so much more going on. This particular piece of legislation introduced by Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher would establish regional mandatory minimums to for negotiated trade of fed cattle, would also direct USDA to establish a library of cattle formula contracts, amend the definition of cattle committed to expand the delivery window from 7 to 14 days, and clarify confidentiality rules for administering livestock mandatory reporting. So that has been introduced. Again, it is called the Cattle Market Transparency Act, and we'll try to get reaction here in just a moment from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association to that particular piece of legislation. Meanwhile, as I said, um, um, a lot of discussion in agriculture on ag labor, a lot of concerns about that challenge Uh, of getting workers and retaining workers uh, for ag labor. And uh, we're going to talk about this uh, reintroduction of the Farm Workforce Modernization Act that uh, perhaps will address some of those key issues. Look forward to talking about that with Jen Sorensen, the new president of the National Pork Producers Council, who uh, will be joining us a little bit later on in uh, the program. So we're still waiting to try to reconnect uh, with Ethan Lane uh, with the National Cattlemen's Association, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and hope to talk with him here very, very soon. All right. Meanwhile, what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Senate Republicans used a confirmation hearing for a couple of high-level nominees to express their concerns 
yesterday about the Biden administration's environmental agenda, which prioritizes, as we've talked a lot about, climate change. Um, the two nominees, Brenda Mallory to be chair of the White House Council on Environmental Quality, and Janet McCabe, nominated to be deputy administrator for the EPA, heard from Republicans that they are worried about overregulation and that, that the fossil fuel industry and the jobs it supplies will be left behind as the Biden administration uh, continues its push to slash greenhouse gas emissions. So we continue to watch that process on the nominees for key posts in the Biden administration. All right, I think Ethan Lane is back with us, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Hey, good to have you. Good to hear your voice. All right, so um, let's go. We'll go first to the uh, the Cattle Market Transparency Act. I was just explaining that. It was introduced by Senator Deb Fisher from Nebraska. What are your thoughts on that proposal? You know, this is obviously something we've talked about before and an issue that our industry has been working on for, for quite some time now. Senator Fisher's bill really hits on a lot of the key objectives that we've been working on as well throughout the industry. Uh, you know, the cattle contracts library, the delivery, 14-day delivery uh, piece, and, and a lot of that confidentiality work is really important. Uh, those are items that I think everyone in the industry can really get behind. Uh, you know, the only piece of the bill that, that we just are, are still at a point where we have a lot of division within the industry is on the mandatory nature of the regional cash trade. Everyone's working on the regional cash trade component. Uh, we absolutely support Senator Fisher's objectives there. Uh, but it's important to remember that, that we have a pretty evenly divided industry on this at the moment. We've got a bunch of affiliates that want one version of this and a bunch of affiliates that want another. So we're going to have to keep working through that over the next few months and, and try to find some common ground. But this is certainly progress. This, this bill is, is really kind of, I think, a, a good blueprint for, for where everyone's trying to get on this issue. So you see it as a starting point, not a final product. Well, it, it, it absolutely is a starting point, but I think the, the bill is a starting point because on the, on the regional uh, price discovery piece, it, it really defers to USDA to go through a rulemaking process to figure out what that would look like. So, you know, were this bill to pass uh, in, in this Congress, uh, that really is, uh, by every definition, the beginning of a conversation. USDA would then need to initiate a rulemaking, uh, seek public comment, and then that would be most likely a multi-year process. I think the bill gives uh, two years for USDA to work their way through uh, establishing those regional mandatory minimums and determining what that would look like. So uh, no matter how you slice it, this is, this, is, this is progress, but it is the beginning of a conversation. Meanwhile, where does the Department of Justice investigation in the cattle market stand? Good question. So that's something we've already uh, asked the new administration about. I know others have as well. Um, we were certainly hoping to have long since heard the results of that investigation. You know, we know DOJ uh, has spent a lot of time on farm talking to producers, uh, talking to feedlot operators, and, and talking to market participants throughout the chain, trying to get some, some understanding of, of, of what it is we're dealing with here. Um, it would certainly be helpful to have that wrapped up so that the industry can see what those issues are and, and start to figure out how to take, uh, take action to correct. So I think we're all kind of on pins and needles waiting for them to wrap that up. There was every expectation, Mike, that at the beginning of a new administration, 
administration with a new attorney general coming in, just like any other part of the federal government, there's a transition period where everything kind of stops. And we're seeing that throughout the federal government. We're seeing that with regulatory freezes. So I guess it's no surprise that we're seeing uh, a delay in the results of that investigation as well. Um, but it would certainly be helpful to the industry for us to get the results of that and, and, and see that move forward. So uh, we're encouraging right. quick action on that, and, and we hope it will take us up on that. So we continue to wait on those results, and we'll wait and see what happens with this new legislation uh, been introduced on cattle markets. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks for the update. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Up next, we will talk with Brandon Day with the Yield Lab Institute. We'll learn about the Soy Innovation Challenge, and we'll have the results. That's next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. 
When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the Yield Lab Institute, in partnership with the United Soybean Board, Syngenta, Amazon Web Services, and the ICL Group, recently announced the winners of the Soy Innovation Challenge. Seven finalists were selected from nearly 90 worldwide applicants. Let's talk about it with Brandon Day, COO of the Yield Lab Institute. Brandon, thank you for joining us. First of all, tell us about the Soy Innovation Challenge. Yeah, great to be with you, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity. So the Soy Innovation Challenge was launched last year in in partnership with the USB to identify ag tech startups and teams that have innovations or ideas that are disruptive to the current soy value chain and that we felt have the greatest potential to capture most value back directly to farmers. And that can include innovations anywhere from harvesting, processing, uh, distribution, even on consumer goods or or goods that require soy uh, as inputs or ingredients. So with that premise in mind, we opened the call, as as you mentioned, to any team or startup around the world that's working in that space and received over 90, uh, nearly 90 applicants, and ultimately, through a careful deliberation and down-select process, selected a finalist cohort of seven we felt that are really strong and represent the best potential to do that. Wow, when you open it up to worldwide competition, that's that's pretty tough competition. Yes, yes, it is. And we had some really, really interesting, innovative uh, teams and, and, and folks working on ideas one of which, one of those finalists, actually a team out of the Netherlands that's working on a blockchain solution to traceably and, and, and validate soy that is coming from a non-deforested region in the world. And this is uh, all driven towards or driven by consumer demand in the EU and also from uh, pork producers that want to feed soy to their uh, to their animals that they know, they know and they can validate comes from a non-deforested region of the world. All right, so you you took the 90 applicants, you got it down to seven finalists, and what were the results? Yeah, so when we uh, when we worked with this uh, group of seven uh, finalists, which one of the other things about the, the challenge is we try to focus on trying to advance our ideas, and that's done through uh, aligning them and picking a mentor, making intro- and, uh, entrepreneurial networking and introductions to tr- strategics and corporates, and really trying to help them support and support and advance their ideas through introductions, mentorship, resources, among other things. And so from those seven finalists, um, we had a a total of $220,000 in cash prizes to award, as well as some Amazon Web Service in-kind cloud computing credits. And so from the seven finalists, uh, we awarded uh, Florisat, which is now rebranded through an acquisition known as Regrow Ag. They received the grand prize of $100,000 in cash. Um, Ecosystem Services Market Consortium was the first runner-up with a $60,000 cash prize. Soil Metrics, a group out of Colorado working on a, a software solution that can validate uh, carbon credits and trying to acquire that kind of uh, 
new revenue stream for farmers. They were the second runner-up with a $40,000 cash prize. And then finally, Genesis Fee Technology is a group out of Fargo, North Dakota, were the third runner-up, and they were awarded a $20,000 cash prize. So how do you take good ideas and get them to the marketplace? Yeah, so so really what, what our, our approach at the Yield Lab Institute is, you know, we're, we're we operate similar to an accelerator programs or groups that you might be familiar with uh, on software, tech, or other innovation spaces, you know, but we tend to, to divert our focus on um, really on customer validation, market validation. Does this idea have, uh, you know, idea innovation or technology that have really great potential, potential to, to scale and grow and, and what, what kind of, um, what kind of introductions can we make, whether that's through strategics or, other uh, business and technical thought leaders in, in ag or agriculture or ag tech, um, and and is there is there that one introduction or that one um, person that we can we can facilitate an introduction to these startups or these the, these folks that would really take them to the next level to scale where they would become uh, an innovation that would be you know really a, a, a seed round or a fundraise away from really thinking about scale and growth into. Um, their home markets or into global markets. That's really our approach is really trying to validate that those technologies and, and take it to that next step through our network. So you kind of, this challenge helps bridge the gap between production agriculture and tech companies then? Yes, it does. It does. What was great about this challenge was that it really, it brought, you know, folks from, uh, like I said, Cargill, Syngenta, ICL Group, and also farmers, farmers and folks on the ground that will be ultimately utilizing and deploying these technologies in the group. And they were a part of the careful review and down select of these semifinalists. So it was really fascinating to be in the room when we had farmers on the strategic management committee of USBA, you know, voice their, their opinions on which technology they, they thought had the most potential really to scale and grow and really to help farmers directly, you know, immediately and in the long term. And then it was really interesting to see, you know, hear from USB Syngenta and the strategics, you know, their perspective on, which technologies they felt best represented the, 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 the best potential to capture more value back to farmers or stakeholders. So in some cases, some of those, um, uh, those ideas or opinions were uh, on, on diametric uh, op opposite ends, and some they were aligned. But I think we all arrived at a pretty strong, uh, cohesive cohort of, of seven that we were uh, really comfortable with, with working with and supporting. You mentioned uh, one of them having to do with carbon and, you know, uh, whether it's car capturing carbon, uh, carbon markets, whatever. That's that's what we're hearing so much about now, and it seems to be a direction we're going. Uh, so that had to be, uh, an, I think, especially a timely uh, entry there because of what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, it is, Mike. And, and one of the things is actually about two, three of the seven finalists are working in that space. Um, to give you an example, one of those one of those finalists is a company called Soilmetrics, and Soilmetrics, like I said, they're they provide they're the uh, intermediary between the um, connecting the the market where a farmer would likely want to uh, you know purchase or or sell their uh, carbon credits that they've uh, been able to to capture and demonstrate on the farm, whether that's through soil remediation or or tillage practices or cover crops or any of a number of different things that. Um, Help uh, help move farming farming towards uh, carbon uh, neutral or carbon negative, um, and then really uh, uh, the you know, soil metrics is, is kind of that the intermediary in providing the, the validation is are, are those practices actually really 
um, helping helping the farm? Are they really moving towards carbon neutrality and, and providing a validation step towards that? Um, so for a company like Solometrics, they 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 are really they sit in the middle. They sit in the middle of that kind of marketplace. And what's interesting is it's actually being developed as as they're building this technology out. So I think from the perspective of Solometrics and and the other start the other finalists that are working on this include Ecosystem Market Services Consortium. They would tell you that there still needs to be some uh, some either um, consensus or agreement on what the uh, what that marketplace is going to look like. You know, how do you validate those steps, and and does that really really bring back an uh, an extra revenue stream and back to directly to the farmer? Because ultimately, that's really what this is all about. So if it doesn't do that, and if it, if it gets um, jammed up, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, through in the middle or through some other intermediary, and doesn't get back to the farmer. Then there's really then then the market's not going to be uh, you know it's not going to succeed and not going to do what it's intended to do which is really help the farmer the farmer bottom line right and that that's really a big question Brandon isn't it right now I mean we're looking at you know we're hearing about all these opportunities that are out there we've heard that before until it's it's really realized and this is a process where farmers can actually see an income stream from it and and everyone sees the benefit of it. Uh, until we get there, I think there's going to be a lot of questions and some skepticism. No, no, and and admittedly so. You know that's that's part of what these uh, you know these finalists are are working on, and they work directly with the farmers. And part of the whole process of the challenge was to connect them with with other farmers, stakeholders, and USB really to get their their honest, candid feedback on how far um, how far along has their innovations moved? Is it really moving the needle to creating those new markets, new revenue streams for farmers? And what do farmers really need to see and to have, you know, to really make it something that they uh, that they want to invest time in and that will ultimately help and benefit their bottom line? So, candidly, you want, we received that same type of kind of feedback from our um, the farmer representatives on USB and other other partners involved in this challenge. Is how do you really build this this new market and and make it work? Make it work for for the farmers and for the the farming community that, that has to be done that has to be done I'm, I'm hopeful that you know the finalists that we chose out of this challenge will uh will, will move the needle and contribute to that effort yeah that would be great because uh, uh those are the questions that are being asked now and perhaps uh, indeed they will be able to help us get some of the answers brandon good to talk with you thanks for sharing the information about the uh the soy innovation challenge appreciate it thank you mike Brandon Day with the Yield Lab Institute. All right, up next, the new president of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen. Her thoughts on the key issues facing the pork industry moving forward. What about all these climate policies and questions that are out there? Where does the pork industry fit in all of this? Her thoughts on ag labor and more. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are mixed with higher soybean contracts and mixed wheat futures. Traders are keeping an eye on export data released this morning, which will set the tone for the trade today. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading a penny and a half lower at 533 and three quarters. The July contract down a penny at 523. May soybeans up 16 and a fraction at 1423 and three quarters. The July contract up 14 at 1405 and a half cent for the wheat Chicago wheat may down four and a fraction at 651 and three quarters Kansas City wheat may down a half cent at 625 and a half cent Minneapolis spring wheat may down a fraction at 642 and three quarters the July contract down a half cent at 648 and a half cent live cattle futures were able to hold on well despite steady cash trade developing in the south and less money in the north yesterday this is somewhat disappointing but not completely unexpected in cash cattle country, light packer inquiry has been noted in the south following Thursday's brisk movement, but bids have not been renewed. Asking prices in the south are still firm at $115 to $116. The north is quiet to start the day. Hog supplies are expected to tighten as the year progresses, but significant weakness of cutouts may indicate price resistance or increasing supplies. On the Board of Trade, April lean hogs trading 35 cents lower at 87.67. The May contract down 25 at 89.10. For live cattle, the April contract down 77 at 118.65. June down 75 at 116.92. For feeders, the March contract down $1.10 at 135.90. April down $1.15 at 140.15. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 85 points. The NASDAQ composite down 199. The S&P 500 down 25. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Egg Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
We're happy to have with us the new president of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen. Jen, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Hey, it's an honor and a privilege to represent the 60,000 U.S. pork producers and work on issues that are really important to us. So thanks, thanks so much, Mike, for having me on. Well, you have no shortage of issues. Uh, what would you say your goals are for the coming year? Well, you, you know, we have a lot of uh, near-term priorities. You know, first and foremost, you know, the pork producers are always talking about trade and opportunities that we have to grow market access. So we're looking at growing that access in the Philippines and Vietnam, both major pork-consuming nations dealing with African swine fever right now. So I would expect a lot of a lot more uh, conversation and work and effort on, on trade and growing that market access. I think uh, another really near-term issue is, is labor. You know, we know the Lochran bill um, dropped in the House this morning, and that's a top priority for pork producers. It's no secret that lab- we're faced with a labor shortage here in our industry. Our farms and packing plants are located in, in rural areas with our populations and livestock care is every single day it's not seasonal um, it's daily choring daily breeding weeding feeding day one pig care in our farrowing houses and we're really looking uh, forward to having an opportunity to, to get some more on labor yeah the uh, reintroduction of the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, among other things, would reform the H-2A visa program to address the ag labor shortage. Uh, this is such a key component of this. Uh, what do you what do you see in this bill that would significantly help in the ag labor issue for uh, the pork industry in particular? Specifically, it's the the removing the ca- the cap and removing the seasonality piece. Um, that's in the current H-2A framework. So, it, again, it goes back to the daily needs of livestock care. This is not about spring planting or fall harvesting of a crop. Uh, this is about the, the daily accountabilities that we have as pork producers to care for our animals. And it just, again, it goes back to looking at all that it takes to take care, provide that top-notch pig care on our farms every day, all the way from the boar studs to the farrowing houses and through the finishers. Um, Again, it's daily breeding, heat detection, preg checking, you know, adjusting those feed boxes, you know, helping those sows give birth uh, through essentially midwifery programs and day one pig care and farrowing. I mean, it, it's all incredibly labor intensive and good good pig care is all in the details. So having a solution uh, for labor through H-2A visa reform is something that U.S. pork producers are really excited about. Not to mention the benefit it would have in our packing sector that also really struggles with uh, getting those packing plants fully staffed. And we should point out that the ag labor issue also impacts consumers, right? Because if you don't have the workforce, production costs can increase and that can lead to higher food prices for consumers. 
That's absolutely right. You know, we're we're here uh, to provide a, a ample food supply for consumers, and we don't want to see you know any type of food shortage or any cost in production on at the farm level, which would then drive higher consumer costs at the marketplace. So it's definitely a win-win to get our farms adequately adequately staffed. We're talking with Jen Sorensen, the new president of the National Pork Producers Council. Jen, with all the focus right now on climate policies and addressing climate issues, where does the pork industry stand in this? What is your message to this new administration, to this new Congress, as they're forming these policies about the role the pork industry can play in this? We, you know, we know policies addressing climate change and other environmental issues are becoming top priorities for the new administration. That's exactly why NPPC launched a campaign at the start of the year highlighting the innovative environmental stewardship practices our industry has adopted. And we're pretty excited to be part of the policy discussion. If you look at the the, um, advancements the pork industry has made over the last, you know, 50 to 60 years, we've reduced our land footprint by 76%. We've reduced our water usage by 25%. We've reduced our energy usage. We've reduced our carbon footprint by 70%. And I think the latest information from the from the government report said that the pork industry is um, providing about 0.4% of the greenhouse gases. So, I mean, we've got a really great story to tell when it comes to the production performance that we've made doing more with less. Um, increasing our productivity with with the south that we do have, improving our feed efficiency, tightening our transportation footprint. The way and the approach that we're managing our manure is very different. We're injecting our manure, we're practicing for for our stewardship, and we're improving our soil health through those practices. So as you can tell, I'm really excited to get to the table and start talking about the commitments that pork producers have made in this arena. Which is important, Jen. Uh, agriculture uh, in general, your industry in particular, has a good story to tell, a good message. I, I call this show and tell time. You're trying to show this, tell this to the uh, uh, the new Congress, the new the administration, because it seems so often in the past when it comes to environmental issues, agriculture has seemingly had a target on its back. It's almost like it's been in the crosshairs. So uh, you, not not that there isn't room for improvement, there always is, but it's important to uh, get some acknowledgement for the accomplishments that you just mentioned. That's right. You know, I just, I have a deep appreciation for pork producers and their families and all of the work and commitment and dedication that they have. You know, I believe in the work that and PPC does. I believe by having a seat at the table, we can make a make a difference on these issues. So producers can continue to do what they do best: raise nutritious, quality pork, you know, to nourish families around the world. And couldn't couldn't be more excited to get started. Jen, let's look at an issue that uh, we talked about last year, and that was the concern over lack of funding for 
inspectors to help keep uh, disease and pests out of our country. Certainly it was highlighted with the, uh, the African swine fever situation uh, in, in other countries. Fortunately, it's, it's been kept out of the U.S. in part because of the work of those inspectors. Where does that issue stand right now? Well, we're, we're definitely continuing the work to bolster those defenses against African swine fever or any foreign animal disease from entering our country. And, you know, we scored a major victory last year securing that funding for U.S. agriculture inspection programs after those travel user fees dried up due to just the lack of travel. So now we're advocating for congressional appropriations for 720 new Customs and Border Protection Ag Inspectors as provided for in the legislation signed into law last March. Uh, Unfortunately, a shortage of those Ag Inspectors remains. Um, So we're working to ensure the establishment of those Ag Inspectors and also a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank as provided for in the 2018 farm bill. Two really important priorities for us as we look at FAD preparation and prevention um, first and foremost uh, for the U.S. pork industry. I was going to ask you about that. Where are we with the vaccine bank? Well, you know, in 2020, USDA announced its first significant vaccine purchase, you know, we're looking forward to establishing a bank fully capable of effectively addressing an FMD outbreak. So we have a little bit a little bit more uh, ways to go here, but it's, they've announced their first purchase and it's off and running. Jen, as you, we wrap it up, you look at this coming year, uh, coming off the the challenging year of 2020, and your your producers face the challenge of higher feed costs. That's one thing, but we're also seeing a strong demand for your product. We're seeing strong demand. We're seeing, you know, sunshine in our in our export future as well. I think producers feel really good about that. The production costs absolutely are going higher. We're going to have to deal with that at the farm level. I think the word for 2021 is is opportunity. I think we have a great opportunity to get somewhere at labor. On labor, we're really excited about the opportunity uh, to get some real solutions at the farm level uh, for pork producers. Really excited to be at the table talking about climate, talking about uh, environmental stewardship and the progress that we've made. Farmers are definitely part of the solution. Uh, and overall, uh, we're, we're pretty optimistic about 2021, and we're ready to roll up our sleeves and dig in and, and get started. Very good. Well, Jen, look forward to uh, talking with you often in this coming year. Again, congratulations. The new president of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen. Take care, Jen. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. All right. Up next, an update on waters of the U.S. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, EPA finally says they will support the Tenth Circuit Court's ruling on small refinery exemptions to the RFS. Here with reaction is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, better late than never, I guess. Took more than a year. We did get some sense that this was a direction that EPA was heading under this new administration, and we're we're very pleased to see this decision come out on Monday. This decision probably doesn't have a significant tangible impact in terms of the legal process. The Supreme Court is still going to take this up in the next couple months with the decision by this summer. This is a strong signal from the Biden administration that kind of the, the days of using small refiner exemptions to undermine 
obligations and the mandated levels of renewable fuels are over. The the use of SREs by EPA is clearly going to be reined in by, by this administration. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation joins us now to keep us updated on waters of the U.S. Don, good to talk with you again. There have been some court rulings. What's the latest? Well, the latest is pretty good news. Uh, We've had the Tenth Circuit rule that uh, Colorado and the district court case in Colorado that kept Colorado from implementing the Navigable Waters Protection Rule was unfounded. So they roll that back, and, you know, it's kind of good news for you know, everyone, the the Navigable Waters Protection Rule is implemented nationwide now. So it is nationwide, but what are the signs from the Biden administration? Do, do you think they're going to try to change it again? Well, they've given every indication that they want to review and revise. And, um, you know, kind of the good news is that they've indicated that they want to have a lot of dialogue before they propose something. We hope that that gives us an opportunity to go in and advocate for things that are really important for farmers and ranchers, which are clarity. And uh, hopefully it gives us a good opportunity to go in and explain, you know, some of the more important pieces of this rule that are kind of critical to farmers and ranchers. Are there any other current legal challenges to the rule right now? Uh, There are a number of other cases, but for the most part, most of the judges have put stays in place uh, as they're waiting for the administration to kind of signal what they're going to do with this regulation going forward. Uh, the good news is that, you know, we don't expect any of these court cases further to move, and that probably leaves a pretty broad slate for, you know, this administration to look over the rule. It probably gives us a good runway to make our case that this is a good rule that is protective of the environment, but yet provides the clarity that that farmers and ranchers need. So we're going to be doing our best and and probably going to the mat to try to convince them of that. It basically took four years to change the, the old rule to this new rule. What kind of timetable do you see 
if they're going to try to change it, they couldn't do it quickly. I mean, could they? I mean, it, it, as you said last time we went through this, it, it's, a, it's a process. How long will the process be? You know, it could take a while. And the good news is that almost, uh, for us, almost every court that looked at the 2015 Lotus Rule, the one that was developed by the Obama administration, found problems with it. Every court that has looked in depth at the uh, Navigable Waters Protection Rule has found that it is a reasonable interpretation of the statute. So when, when you're looking at the two, if this administration wants to try to take us back to something closer to the 2015 rule, they're going to have a problem. So, you know, this isn't going to be an easy process for them. And whatever, they're, whatever they propose to do, you know, they just can't do it willy-nilly. They're going to have to justify it and justify it in ways that probably better, much better than they did back in 2015, and it's going to be hard. So I, I am very hopeful that this rule is going to stick, and it's going to stick for a long time. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is it could be tougher for the Biden administration to change this rule than it was for the Trump administration to change the Obama rule. Uh, that is exactly right, Mike, because of the way the courts have viewed these two rules. Uh, the 2015 rule was viewed to be an overreach, a significant overreach that infringed not only on uh, the statute, but infringed on, on the federalism that was embedded in the statute that, that gave states a role. The Trump administration and the Navigable Waters Protection Rule tried to march down that that very fine line and do so in a way that was protective of water and yet provided the clarity that people need. We feel like it hit that sweet spot. We're going to be making that case to the Biden administration. Are there any areas of this current rule now that you feel might be harder to defend than others or any weak spots? Uh, what areas would you focus on? You know, I, I'm not sure I would I would frame the question or the answer to the question that I'm going to give quite like you've had. I can tell you where I think the Biden administration is going to look. Uh, and I think the, the, the footing that the Trump administration put in place is, is sound and it's a great foundation. But the three areas they're going to look at is the definition of tributary. Uh, the Trump administration excluded all ephemerals. This administration is probably going to look at that. They're also going to look at this whole issue of adjacency and having to, you know, having to have waters abut or have a surface, direct surface water connection for the wetland to be adjacent. They're going to look at that. And they're also going to look at some of these big intrastate waters. Think prairie potholes in the upper Midwest. Think Carolina Bays on the East Coast. Think vernal pools out West. They're going to look at those intrastate waters. All three of those areas are going to be a huge lift for them, but they're also very important. The way the regulation came out is also very important for farmers and ranchers. Sounds like some familiar <laughs> debates. These are areas that we've been debating for some time. It, yes, it is. And, you know, the key is, are we hitting a sweet spot? Are we hitting a spot? where the public can be assured that we're protecting water quality, but yet providing the clarity that people need. I argue that we are, and I would argue that, you know, not only uh, the Biden administration has a stake in making sure that they do it right, I hope Congress 
uh, involves itself and is keen to the oversight on this so that we are protective of water but yet provide the clarity we need. So we'll see where it goes, but right now we have everybody, the whole country, under the new Waters of the U.S. rule, right? That is correct, and that is a huge achievement, and my hat's off mm -hmm. to, um, you know, all the folks and the coalitions that have tried to make sure that that happened in the courts. Took a while to get here, uh, but we're here, and we'll see how long it lasts and where these attempts to change it again go. We always appreciate the updates, Don. Thank you so much. Absolutely, and our grassroots are going to be standing ready to participate in this debate going forward, and we'll, we'll keep you updated, Mike. Very good. Thank you. Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau Federation. That wraps it up for today. Have a good day, everyone. Join us again tomorrow here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.